This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon. Not that there is very much good about it. As you just heard in Bob's news, a huge swath in the heart of Toronto, is in lockdown. The University of Toronto, Hospital Row, Queen's Park, all of this as police investigate reports of a suspicious masked person uh, with a gun. And the subway is bypassing the area, and police have asked people to stay away from the entire area. Is this related to the horrific mass shooting in Orlando? It's the worst in U.S. history, and of course, it is top of mind today. The Islamic State terror group is now claiming the gunman who killed 49 people at an Orlando gay nightclub Sunday as one of their own, and I quote, one of the soldiers of the caliphate in America. He's identified as Omar Mateen, a 29-year-old who pledged his allegiance to ISIS moments before opening fire in the club in Orlando. He had been under investigation by the FBI for Islamic threats twice, but was somehow able to purchase an automatic machine gun and ammunition. President Obama is characterizing this both as a terror attack and a hate crime. Experts say an attack on an LGBT venue during Ramadan would be consistent with Islamic extremism. At the same time, we learned about the execution of Robert Hall, a Canadian held hostage by a different Islamic extremist group in the Philippines. Uh, I am here with security and terror expert Ross McLean. And Ross, what, what can you tell us? Well, there's a common thread there through all of the things you just talked about. Uh, the Canadian who was beheaded, the second Canadian beheaded in the Philippines, Robert Hall, is by a terrorist group that is affiliated. They've pledged allegiance to ISIS. They kidnap people for money to fund the war on terrorism. Of course, we look at the terrible, horrific massacre down in Orlando, Florida. That was committed by someone who, we can go through all the threads, but he said in his own voice, in his own name, he's pledged to ISIS and that's why he was doing it and praised the bombers. And of course, the reaction that we're seeing in downtown Toronto now with everything closed down is because of the concern. Somebody saw somebody all dressed in black with a black uh, backpack with their face uh, covered somehow. Uh, running into one of the schools. They were scared, took the picture, and called the police. And I'm sure there's been lots of people over the over the days uh, and weeks and months at U of T, Libby, in that part, who dress all in black and go into, they have theater classes in there, the backstage guys, everything. But now, people are hypervigilant. They're looking at this, and the police are responding. So it's all tied to this ISIS terror fear. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. Uh, they mentioned the music building, and, and sometimes uh, the way instruments are, are packed up, uh, they, can, they can look like it could possibly be a weapon and people are scared. So we don't know if there is any connection between these things, but we do know that everybody is on hyper, hyper alert. 
Absolutely. And if, there, if there's some assurance I can give to people, our police are very, very good at doing this. The, the, the canine and the ETF who are down here doing the searches room to room, very, very qualified. Uh, when those guys show up, the bad guys cringe. So uh, it's good we have them on our side. Um, I'm going to give out the numbers. I'd like to hear from uh, our listeners on what they make of all of this. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We've also heard this is Pride Month that uh, police are going to step up security for those activities. And I know there were some people trying to separate these two potential motives, a terror motive and an anti-gay, a homophobic motive. But but really, um, both things uh, can coexist very easily. Absolutely. There can be multiple reasons for people to do things. And we've seen that before Ramadan started, the holy month for the uh, the Muslims, they, ISIS put out a call. They wanted terror to take place in North America and in different countries. And they, uh, in their in their guidance, they said there will be extra rewards if you do it during Ramadan because this is a special time. And if you're going to hit something like they did with the gay club down there, that's even all the better because that goes against their beliefs, uh, the people who are being killed. So um, it's time to be on high alert. And uh, these things are tied together and they absolutely are going to be more careful here in Toronto. I talked briefly to the to the head of the Pride organization this morning. I was uh, at a place with him as well. Talked to him. He says he's busy. He's going to be uh, working all month to make sure this is covered. He's meeting with the RCMP and Toronto Police today to make sure that they're stepping up and putting the right amount of security on this event. What do you make of the fact that the shooter, uh, he was a security guard. He worked for a huge company that had federal contracts contracts in the United States. He was under investigation twice. Now, of course, if you don't find anything in an investigation, you can't hold someone. But still, this ability to buy advanced weapons, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, well, the profile, as, as I've talked about with you before on this show, the profile of these, uh, what we're going to call, I don't like the term, but these lone wolf uh, extremists who get involved in that's these things. That's not proven yet that he was a lone wolf. Uh, that's no. why I, I don't like using the word. People use it, but I don't like using the word because I don't consider them to be lone at all. But the profile is uh, second, genera- second generation immigrant family. He is second generation. His parents came over here from Afghanistan, so he's here. Same as the San Bernardino shooter, second gener- generation immigrant from the Middle East. So they're able to sit in here. They, they live for a long time. The San Bernardino shooter, of course, he held down a job. I was paying for a house, was doing everything too, until the day that he and his uh, his wife uh, pulled out the guns and gunned down 21 people. So here you see these people, they're able to lay low till a certain point and fit in and cover things uh, until they decide to go off. But you're right, the FBI was onto this guy before. Uh, you know, obviously this could happen anywhere, but at least here in Canada, I mean, it, it always boggles the mind that that a lot of Americans do not make the connection between these mass shootings and their gun laws. So at least how protected would you say we are here in Canada because you can't go around buying weapons like that? Well, there's an interesting interesting part about that, Libby. The You've seen that these ISIS Muslim terrorists, uh, they are killing everybody everywhere they can with whatever weapons they can. They ran down Lieutenant uh, Patrice Vincent, our our Canadian soldier in Quebec, took a car, wait for the officer to walk in front of him and just ran him down with the car. We've seen stabbings. We saw the attack on Parliament Hill was with an old farm rifle that they were able to get their whole uh, hands on. And you're right. Had he got his hands on an AR-15 or one of these assault rifles, uh, Parliament Hill attack would have turned out a lot worse. 
So uh, we also see suicide vests. We haven't heard much about the guy down in Orlando. He apparently was wearing something that looked like a suicide vest. The police were concerned about bombs. We've certainly seen suicide bombers take uh, place from this. So, I mean, guns are just one of the weapons. If they can happen to get their hands on them, uh, they're going to kill people. And there's concerns there for sure, but they're going to kill. So you you are not... Um comforted by the fact that that are that we have better gun laws here no i'm not comforted by the fact we have better gun laws here at all you know i'm comforted by this fact the toronto police uh early this year uh purchased 30 uh, assault type rifles and they've put them out uh in divisional cars they've spread them around the city so those will be available to officers if they need them because if they're responding somewhere these police officers are outgunned if someone else has a weapon like that. So I'm, I'm glad to see that the police are stepping up and taking those, those moves. Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again. We'd like to hear from our listeners. What is your reaction to this horrific shooting? Uh, do you feel secure, better here in Canada? And uh, what, what do you make of the lockdown, a huge swath of downtown Toronto in lockdown? Uh, we don't know the reason for it, we know that everybody is on edge, on high alert. Uh, the numbers, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740 or fight back at zoomer.ca. And Ross, uh, you were saying there's something going on in London as well. Well, there's apparently, I believe there's a bomb threat at one of the universities in London uh, this morning. London, Ontario. I haven't had a chance to see the details on it, but the police do take it seriously. Remember, I think it was last year, there was a a student out on an East Coast university who was threatening to kill people, and he actually had the guns and the ammunition, and his psychiatrist called the police, I believe, and they they stopped him and they took him down before he was able to do that. So the universities take these threats very, very seriously. Almost all of them have uh, these lockdown plans down. They'll uh, They'll be out on their Twitter and their Facebook pages telling people, get out of the building, leave here, go there. So it's it's a serious concern. And uh, it's the same in Hospital Row. I, I can just imagine, I mean, uh, people who are ill who need treatment and suddenly this happens. Uh, now, the, the lockdown in the hospitals, my understanding is that the hospitals themselves decided on it wasn't mandated by the police. Yeah, the hospitals chose to do it uh, for doing it. And you're right about this. People not, may not be aware, but hospitals are very, very good at doing the lockdowns with the security, particularly the ones with emergency rooms and trauma units. Quite often, they'll have people who are involved in gang shootings and they'll bring them in. And there's a concern about other gang members coming in to try and finish the job. So they're very good at that. They also have, you know, we're sort of familiar with hearing the code blue sometimes when you're in a hospital, though that, you know, and you see them running out with the pads to go save somebody. They also have codes that they put out when there's fights or problems going on for whatever reason in a, in a hospital. So they're, they're taking cautions here for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they see everything. They're certainly used to that. That's the problem. I mean, I, I've been in hospitals before where just simply uh, someone being notified of a death of somebody and they, they just lose it because they don't want to deal with it. And it, there's just it, all the emotion that's in hospitals is there. So it's... You know, look, it's good to see that everybody is taking the approach to this that they are. It's, if nothing else, it's good practice. Companies, I always use the things like this as a drill to say, okay, what did we do wrong? What did we miss? What did we not find out here? So you can be more ready for the next time to react fast, Libby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, though, that, that I find really scary in terms of the intelligence required, basically intelligence authorities have to be right every time because if you miss one, 
that that the results are just awful. No, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, what's going to be a big part of the discussions coming up for the protection of the Pride Parade and Pride Month will be exactly that. I mean, the way that you stop these sort of uh, terrorist attacks that we see, it's through intelligence. If you're not doing it through intelligence, it's really too late once they act. So uh, I'm sure that the RCMP will be working closely uh, as well with everybody. The Prime Minister is going to be here for this parade for the first time. So I have a feeling the parade is going to be a pretty hard target for them to go at. But there may be other venues uh, that are softer targets where the police aren't uh, putting so much resources that may have a higher risk, actually. Okay, let's uh, go to the phones. We've got John in Brampton. Hello, John. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon. And it's a little bit cloudy today, a gray uh, sky in Toronto. Yes. And what I'm suggesting is this. Now, um, what is happening, it is very, very unusual in North America. It's happening in Europe, too. Now, if we have a, a time, still time, to deal with the community that we have in problem, and by that means that the leader of the community has to do something about soon, and we have authority by the, uh, in the community, and these are the people that should be responsible for what is happening in their community. If we do that, I think we eliminate a lot of problems. And if we can save one person by doing that, I think that we are winning. John, what John, John, you make you make uh, some excellent points there, and I and I honestly believe that leadership is going to be the thing that helps us to deal with this problem and manage with it. My my own view, though, is I don't think we're seeing very good leadership on this. We have leaders who can't even say what the problem is, let alone get together with someone, talk about it, and try and find a way of dealing with it. But I absolutely agree with you. If we have leadership, there's nothing that we can't do as a community, but I'm just not seeing the leadership here. It's, it's, um, there's, I think there's a certain level of political correctness where people are afraid to say this has something to do with Islam. Of course, Islamic extremism, and of course, we do not want to tar the entire community. But to say that it's not that, that's not going to solve the problem. You know, I think maybe I was just half joking with myself about this today. Maybe we need to come up with a new name for it and just call it X. So anytime somebody does something where they're killing people in the name of an ideology for some reason, and it's radical, we'll just call it X. That way we don't have to debate whether it's radical Islam or moderate Islam or that's true Islam or that isn't or whatever it is. Because the words seem to be getting in the way of taking the proper actions to deal with these problems. And and you don't get much more serious than what just happened in, in Orlando the other day. You just don't get any more serious than that. Yes. Well, I think uh, we should be time to get serious because I think uh, before it's too late. And I remember my grandfather used to be a veteran of World War One, And he says to me one time, remember, there is a top secret in there that nobody is talking about. We are soldiers. We know that. And we saw that in the Second World War, in other parts of the world, and still we don't get it. Well, you how, know, do you, how do you explain that to people who are listening today? 
Yeah, I was just going to say, what an excellent point about, you know, the veterans of those past wars, they understand discipline, they understand sacrifice, they understand that you could lose your freedom and that you could lose your country if you don't all pull together and get the darn thing right. We've been maybe too lucky and too spoiled over here, I think, Libby. Okay, John and Brampton, thanks. thank you very much for your call. We have to take a quick break. We are going to be back with more from Ross McLean and more of your calls. The numbers before we go, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with security and terrorism expert Ross McLean. As I'm sure you have heard by now, a huge swath of the heart of Toronto is in lockdown as police investigate reports, two separate reports about suspicious people, one of them masked, dressed in black, and with a gun, according to the report. So that is the U of T, Hospital Row, Queen's Park, all in lockdown. And we do not know if this is related to that horrific shooting in Orlando yesterday, where gunman Omer Mateen killed 29 people in a gay nightclub. Uh, We're going to go right to the phones. Anna in Niagara. Hello, Anna. Hello. How are you today? Fine. How are you? I am well, thank you. Um, My take on this, I mean, it's obviously a horrific event, and that doesn't really need restating, um, is that in general, the media is not helping the situation at all with what I consider a very stereotypical reaction Um, I think the jump to the Islamophobia um, incites even more hatred. The labeling of this person as an Islamic terrorist on the flimsiest of evidence. Excuse me, Um, he he called in pledging allegiance to ISIS. We have an uncorroborated one statement. Well, I'm sure the police, you don't believe the police? You think they made that up? I certainly do believe the police, but... At this point in time, there has been nothing else to substantiate that he was a committed Islamic terrorist. And even if he were, I think it's far too early to say that that is the one and only motivator. No, no, we, nobody is saying that's the one and only motivator. That That is one probably one of them. On. That's he, the one that's focused on. Well, it, it, well actually, the homophobia. Uh, he pledged allegiance to ISIS, if you believe the police. ISIS is claiming him. That came out this that morning. Much after the event, because at first they said they had no knowledge of him. Well, I, I, don't, I don't recall that. So do we, do we suppress these things? Do we... Not at all. Not at all. But I do think that we need to be a little slower off the mark to make sure that what we're labeling as a terrorist attack is exactly that, and not some nutbar who has taken it into his head that all homosexuals must be dispatched. Okay, Ross, do you have a, a comment? Thanks for your call, Anna. We'll hear what Ross has to say. Thank you. 
Yeah, one of the things that I do uh, when I assess risk and I look at it is I line up a bunch of uh, what I call them red flags that tell me there's going to be a problem somewhere. And when I start to see enough of the red flags there, I know I have to act. And there is no doubt in my mind that there's uh, more than enough red flags to label this as, as, a, as a terrorist, Islamic terrorist attack. There's no doubt in my mind. It all lines up. Everything from how the attack was uh, conducted, it was practiced, it was basically uh, mirrored off of the Paris attacks for, for how it was done. And uh, we're, we are going to find out more information uh, about this. I mean, there is, there's, there's no evidence. We don't know if it was one of the so-called lone wolf uh, acting alone or somebody under the direction of ISIS. But one of the things I found interesting, because uh, this guy's ex-wife said she thought he was unstable and mentally ill, and that was the reason, uh, even though she hasn't even seen him for seven years. And then uh, I heard a number of experts weigh in and basically say they don't think that somebody who is mentally ill uh, could have executed this. Uh, and also, they don't think somebody with that, that level of mental illness could have held down a job for as long as he did. Correct. I'm glad you brought that up, Libby, because, you know, if there's anything we jumped the gun on is people listening to his ex-wife who hasn't seen him for a while, who's not a doctor diagnosing him with mental illness as he goes on. You know, I, I don't like going to the mental illness right away because I tell you, in my time as, as a police officer and doing some other things, you see people do things who aren't mentally ill, but you just cannot fathom how their mind works in that way, that it's the right way to do it. They're doing it with their own beliefs of what they, how they believe the world works and what they believe they're supposed to do. Okay. Uh, let us take a call. We've got John in, in Toronto, I think. John? Hello? Oh, just a minute. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Hi, uh, Libby. I, I love your program. Thanks. And I just want to make a comment. I disagree with your uh, terrorism expert. I, uh, I think as a whole, the, uh, the uh, media has been promoting this uh, so-called gay rights uh, and, and shoving it down a lot of people's throats, and there's a lot of resentment of what's going on. I mean, the question is, is, that, is, it, is it fair enough that the gay community are actually setting themselves to be up for targets? And do I think that the guy who committed the massacre is actually a terrorist? No, I don't. I think what sent that man over the edge is the fact that the two men that were kissing each other on the threat. Now, there's a lot of resentment out there. And you've got to look at the, 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 the big picture. I mean, what they, what they do is their business, uh, you know, but the fact is that they're using the media and forcing it down people's throats to, to accept it. And case in point is that Kathleen Wynne uh, locked horns with the Muslim community uh, who have very deep religious values, uh, just the same as relig uh, Roman Catholics, and they resented the fact that their children were forced to listen, listen and, and be educated by this alternative sexual lifestyle and forced to, to, to accept it as, as alternative sex. Well, now, this is, this, just a minute, this is, this is uh, not what was in that curriculum. Well, People no, who didn't even look at it. But, but um, uh, Ross, do you, do you want to respond? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the whole gay community is setting themselves up uh, to, to be hit. I mean, uh, because a lot I don't of think so. this whole lifestyle offensive, and they're becoming easy targets, and they're, the media is, is promoting these values that are not consistent with family values in the United okay, States. Call, okay, caller. Okay, caller. Carla, let's, let, me, let's, let me say something thanks. here for a second yeah. here. Uh, I don't disagree with you, but I don't agree with everything that you're saying either. What I have a big problem with uh, with this one as well, too, is this attack on, uh, on this club. It's a gay club. It could have just as easily been a... Uh, a, uh, a school. It could have just as easily been a uh, 
a church. It could have been any other place. It yep. could have been a synagogue that they would have gone into to get the the, the, the ISIS statement referred to it as a crusader something. They call Christians crusaders. Yeah. So, so you know, my my point is being, and this is the only part I'm going to agree with you. A lot of people are are playing in the in the LBG crowd are playing this up as just an attack on gays. I, I'd rather say that this is an attack on humanity first, and it's attack on everybody's liberty first. You know, the fact that their lifestyle was that, I mean, so they would have mowed down anybody in this particular case. So I, I don't like seeing it being bent in, in a way that it suits one particular channel. I, I would feel just as bad today if they had killed a pile of Roman Catholics, if they had killed any group of people just because ISIS doesn't agree with them. It's it's an attack on Western values of live and let live. And I don't think, you know, to say that gay people are setting themselves up, they want to live out in the open like everybody else. And this is their club. I mean, I don't go to clubs where the music is too loud because it's not my thing. But people can go to their clubs where the music is loud and and what, you know, they're setting themselves up for something. Well, that was the attack in Paris. The attack on Paris was because Paris is the epitome of the free lifestyle where you can go out, entertain and do things, which ISIS disagrees with. They considered you to be apostates and uh, sinners and everything else. They were attacking people who were listening to rock music and people who were uh, sitting in cafes and and having a glass of wine. So where do you draw the line? Let's take a call from... uh, God in Toronto. Hi, God. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, What I would like to comment is that everybody is trying to be politically correct, not to insult the Islam, not to do this and not to do that. This is how they take advantage of our being so nice to them. And this is what happens. I don't see any problem saying it's it's a terrorist attack, and you can correct yourself later on. Because if you see all the names of all those people committing all those crimes in the States, in Canada, are Islamic people. So what is the problem to say, yes, it was a a terrorist attack? Well, I I I think you need more evidence than somebody's name to say that it's a terrorist attack. But I I agree that in in this case, the evidence is there. Yes, but it happens so often. So, uh, you know what, you know, the the, the fact that they want to be uh, uh, so peaceful and not to offend anybody, they take advantage of this. Well, I'll say this, you're absolutely right about that. The way that they're allowed to operate here with the operatives and with the people who are doing these lone wolf attacks for them or whatnot, or the people who come over on visas, is they are operating under the very cloak of liberty and freedom. Uh, for instance, the FBI investigated this guy three times for his ties to terrorism, but because there wasn't enough there legally, criminally, to charge him and do him criminally, they allowed him to carry on to go about his life, whereas you would not be afforded that uh, that right in the Middle Eastern country, I guarantee you, if they had the same uh, information on you. Absolutely. Uh, that's true, and somebody has to take care of it and correct this thing. And, you know... If he's suspicious, you have to do something about it before 50 people got killed. You're, well, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there are people uh, in the U.S., very senior people, uh, ex-military, ex-intelligence, and current uh, politicians who are calling for Congress to declare this as an actual war against ISIS. So therefore, they could have, in this case with this guy who got the gun, 
prevented him from getting the gun. They could have put him on the list. But under the current law, where it's you have to break a criminal law before you go on that list, they can't do it because they don't have the evidence to prove it. Yeah, but you just said a few minutes ago that you think, well, if he couldn't have got the gun, he would have done it with something else. Right. But I mean, he would have, they would have put him on the list not to get a gun, not to get a bomb, not to go over here. They would have been tracking him a lot closer, stay off the internet. I mean, uh, there's actually one interesting idea that's being floated around now. People are talking about uh, making it so the internet, they want to make it parallel to child pornography laws. They say if you go to a, a child pornography site and download one picture, you can go to jail for quite a number of years, but you can go to an ISIS site look at terrorism, download how to make a bomb or how to do this or how to launch an attack and not face one consequence whatsoever. I'm not saying that's necessarily the right way to go, but we've got to find a bit more of an aggressive way to be able to get to these people uh, before they act. So we have to change the rules of engagement, I think. Well, um, one of the problems I'm told is that if, if there is no internet uh, trail of people accessing sites, and if they act on their own, then how do you know they're out there? Well, no, listen, they're, they're, right now, the the Internet, the NSA, all those groups, they're doing a heck of a job of tracking these people down. Almost in every case, when we've had a, a major terror attack, we find out that the authorities knew about the person beforehand. That's what we've, that's, we found, They knew about them, but yeah. they just could not prevent them from acting before. So we have to come to some conclusion here about if, what is the cost of doing that. We can know that someone's tied to this. They're looking at this sort of stuff. They're potentially radicalized. And then they go off and if they get a gun, they can kill 50 people. They can do a bomb or whatever. Is that the price we're going to pay or does that need to change? And to this point, just for a while until you get this thing straightened out. That's the other point. It doesn't have to be a permanent change in civil liberties. Okay. Yep. Okay, God, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I'm going to give out the numbers once again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm here with security and terrorism expert Ross McLean. We're talking about that horrific shooting in Orlando and also uh, the lockdown in Toronto and also uh, the execution of Robert Hall in the Philippines by a different uh, Islamic extremist group. What's your comment on that? Well, my comment on that is I would sure like to hear a whole lot more from the Prime Minister about what we tried to do in this case. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, we don't negotiate, we don't pay ransoms. Okay, I get that as your kind of standalone talking phase thing for doing it. It's just not the truth. It's not the truth. You always negotiate. The same as they, they, had, they were negotiating with that guy down in the Orlando Pulse nightclub. They were talking with him, trying to find something to negotiate. They couldn't find any angle on him to get him to agree to something to let the people go. So you do negotiate. But if you're not going to negotiate, then I think you need to have the other side of it, which is says, we're going to come back after you like a hammer and we're going to deal with you. If you're going to, if you're going to do this to our people, Netanyahu, they just had that attack in, in their cafe a little over a week ago in Tel Aviv. He came out and he finished his speech by saying, okay, now we're done. Now we're going to attack the attackers. He lets them know, okay, we're not going to pay, but you're, there's going to be a price to pay to do this. Otherwise, you leave Canadians open to uh, this sort of terror. Okay, let's go to Joan in Toronto. Hello, Joan. Hello. Um, I think because of Ramadan being a uh, holy time, we should put off Ramadan, the gay pride until after Ramadan. Even the prime minister is putting himself at risk by going to gay pride when it's happening during Ramadan. 
Well, doesn't that let them win? I don't. Yeah, I don't think that Ramadan's the problem. It's the it's ISIS using Ramadan, uh, Ramadan as the threat to go out and carry out acts. There's all sorts of people that are doing their proper fasting and everything else and enjoying themselves and doing that. So, I but know, it's it's I'm the threat. Against, I'm not against Islamists. I think that we should have an attitude that God and Allah are the same thing. God Allah, express God Allah. Um, I've mentioned that to to. Uh, I've mentioned that to many people, and they agree that God law is a good is a good word. The Muslims agree, and they they well, the Muslims Muslims love uh, love Jesus, but they don't think he was born of a Mac of a virgin, and they think he was born under a fig tree. They uh, that's where the Quran says. Yeah, there's there's di- there's differences in all religions for what they believe uh, for doing that, but in this case, the radical uh, Islamist side. The political Islamist side, the military Islamist side, is what's causing uh, all of these problems. Yeah, and and again, so the the you know the the head of uh, Pride said the show must go on. So I mean, a, a lot of people think that if if you put off the things that you have planned, if you change your life, if you live in a more restricted way, then you let them win. Joan, thank you for your call. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, we are going to have to uh, wrap things up and go to break. Ross, uh, your closing thoughts? I just want to say that as we hear from the callers, people are concerned and they do want to see leadership on this. So if you do feel you have concerns and you want to see something change, send a letter or an email to uh, to your politician that's in your area and say, look, I'm concerned about this. I want to see leadership. We're going to have to get that political leadership to start uh, dealing with this, Libby. It's just tragic to have to cover and talk about these sort of events. Absolutely. Ross, thank you so much. We appreciate your insights, as always. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.